Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. The Treasury Department and IRS released long-anticipated guidance regarding the full subsidization of COBRA premiums that was included in the American Rescue Plan Act. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, our friends from Compliance Corner, COO and Compliance Officer of Kirby Employee Benefits, Carol Taylor, and CEO of MCQ Consulting, Jennifer Berman, are joining me to provide an overview of this new notice and what you and your clients need to know. Thank you both for joining me today. Before we discuss this new guidance, just to start, the DOL previously released guidance on COBA premium assistance back on April 9th. NAHU hosted a Compliance Corner webinar reviewing this guidance, which is available still on NAHU.org. Before we got the IRS guidance this week, what were some of our outstanding questions that were not resolved from previous guidance? So we had quite a few questions that were still unanswered, mainly about some of the terms that would be falling under involuntary termination, such as an ongoing disability, if somebody was hired for a specific contract. Some of the other items would be, of course, if this would be a qualifying event trigger for the marketplace. What if the plan is no longer available because, of course, they've gone through a renewal, their pricing went up, they changed carriers, they had to change plans. You know, we had quite a few outstanding questions um, uh, when that webinar was done. So, uh, of course, got to get a few things answered here. So what exactly was included in this week's notice from the IRS? What are some questions that you've been receiving, such as those that this week's guidance finally answers? So we did get some really helpful and long-awaited answers in the IRS guidance. Starting where Carol started, I think that the biggest open issue for folks was, what does it mean to have an involuntary termination of employment? So in order to qualify for the subsidy, an individual has to have either experienced the qualifying event of an involuntary termination or a reduction in hours. So we now have that definition. It's still a facts and circumstances test. So the IRS is clear that it's still a case-by-case determination, Um, but they give us an actual definition, and that is a severance from employment due to an independent exercise of the employer's unilateral authority to terminate the employment, other than due to the employee's implicit or explicit request where the employee was willing and able to continue services. Okay. So that was a bit of a mouthful. It's clearly reading it this time. It, it's still, you know, a little bit difficult, but what they did go on to do is give us some really helpful examples. And those include things like there was a question about contract. So Carol had mentioned, like, if we're in a contract engagement, is the end of the contract an involuntary termination? And the answer to that question is maybe. Um, it is an involuntary termination if the 
employee had reason to believe that there might be a contract extension or a renewal, or that was sort of a regular part of the process. But if the time at which the employee began working, it was for a set known term without an expectation of an extension, then it's considered not to be an involuntary termination. Another big question that I was getting were things around, what if the employee is afraid to return to work due to sort of a workplace safety thing? And specifically, the question kept coming up in my practice of, I'm afraid because of COVID and now we're required to come into the office. I don't, I don't feel comfortable coming back in. That probably is not enough, that employee resigning as a result of that, to amount to an involuntary termination under these rules. There is an allowance for what's called constructive discharge. So that's a situation where the employee doesn't feel safe and is effectively discharged from employment because the employer won't make the workplace safe. That gets to the facts and circumstances issue. So just fear or anxiety, not enough to make this an involuntary termination. OSHA violations would certainly be enough to make it be considered an involuntary termination. So that was one of the big pieces we were waiting on answers on. The other big piece for me, and and then I'll let Carol mention some, was around employer subsidies. So what about when the employer helps to offset the cost of COBRA? I often see this in severance arrangements. As part of a severance deal, they'll pay for a portion of the employee's share for a period of time. And where that's the case, the IRS said, yeah, no, the employer can't get reimbursed for that if they've already made that promise that they are going to subsidize the coverage. But they did go further and say that they could change that policy as long as they changed it for everybody. And then went a a step further still and said, you can change that policy. And by the way, if you decide to just give that employee taxable compensation equal to what you would have paid towards their COBRA, that doesn't blow the ability to get the subsidy. So lots of nuanced layers in this guidance, but pretty helpful overall. Have you registered for NEHU's annual convention yet? We are excited to announce that one of the keynote speakers at our annual convention next month will be Karen Buxman. Karen is an international speaker, successful author, and neurohumorist living at the intersection of the brain and humor. Karen helps everyone achieve peak performance and optimum health through the art and science of applied humor. Does that sound interesting to you? Go to NAHU.org now and register for next month's virtual annual convention. Carol, what were, what were some of your questions that got answered? So even though we're not a heavy union or collective bargaining state uh, where I am down in Florida, one of the items that we're hearing a little bit was that even a strike would be included as a reduction of hours. I know that that question has come up quite a bit. The issues around a disability, those definitely need to be closely looked at. For most people, that's likely going to fall underneath the reduction of hours. I'd probably say it's kind of getting into some, a little bit of that gray area on that. However, you know, if you kind of go into those Q and A's really, really closely looking at them, I know a lot of the ones that I've seen, I believe that they would fall underneath a reduction of hours. A I lot think of that that's what the Department of Labor's Q and A indicates, but they don't have the jurisdiction over what the employer can be reimbursed for. I'm not sure that it's in this IRS guidance. 
So it's interesting. It's an open question for folks for sure. Yes. If somebody had to move geographic location of employment for the employee, that would be considered an involuntary termination if that person resigned because of that move. So that's another little kind of kink there. So it has to be a material change in geographic location. So they got to move from like one state to another, or if you're in a big state, you know, one side of the state to the other, not the next town. Right. Temporary leaves of absences are not necessarily reduction of hours. So that person would, again, that kind of goes back to some of that disability or, you know, out for a medical reason, And then one of the other items would be that the death of an employee is not a reduction of hours or an involuntary termination. So their spouse or their dependent children, of course, would not be considered assistance eligible individuals. On that one, I think that that one's, it's interesting. So that came up twice in the guidance. And I think it came up because the question has been coming up so many times. Yes. But just as a reminder to every, that wasn't one that was ambiguous, really. And as a reminder to everyone, none of the other qualifying events trigger this. None of the other COBRA qualifying events trigger this. So death, aging out, voluntary termination of employment. And the IRS does sort of remind folks of that here because it's a counterintuitive result. Right. And then one of the other ones that I do see come up quite a bit is with like staffing companies or leasing companies and their contract is not renewed those are typically considered an involuntary termination. So we did get quite a few answers, maybe not every single uh, situation out there, but they do, of course, list that they are, you know, still reviewing other questions that have come up and been submitted and that they should be releasing some additional guidance on that. So Following this guidance, are there any remaining gray areas that you are still looking for answers on? There's going to be so many. You know, I think, Carol, I'm interested in your insight on this too. I think that they, you know, they come up just as quickly as, as anything. They're, the IRS definitely explicitly states in the guidance that they're not even answering all of the questions yet. But there are a number of things that I was sort of hoping for more help with particularly around some of the, I don't know, I don't want to say the mechanics, but some of these hard questions that come up and they really just gave us more. These are facts and circumstances. You're sort of on your own to figure them out. Yeah. And I think it's important to know that they listed at least twice that they're still looking at other items out there. So, you know, normally they don't list that kind of disclaimer more than once. It's usually just the one time, um, but this one, they actually did mention it at least twice. So it was a little bit more, you know, we know that there's still questions out there. And I think that they really potentially need to kind of talk a little bit more about the premium assistance credit, because in one spot, it's stating that it's included in the gross income of any person. And another spot, they say that it's excluded from a person's gross income. Also, some of the other where it talks about whoever's getting the credit. So that's definitely going to be some questions for some CPAs out there, you know, just based on they kind of look like they're contradicting themselves within even the same section. So I think 
there likely will be some more items coming out from that. We did get the answer to the, um, Carol mentioned it from our, our last session, the question of what happens when the subsidy ends, if that's going to trigger a special enrollment right in the individual markets. We didn't get it in this round of guidance, but we got it in guidance a couple of weeks ago from HHS. And the answer there is yes. So when the subsidy ends, folks will have a special enrollment right in the individual market. It is now time for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? I'm going to toast to summer break because we're <laughs> doing an awful lot and, and we're ready for a break. And I agree. And that's why I would like to personally toast to you guys and the rest of the Compliance Corner Committee for your tireless efforts in understanding all of this regulation and guidance that affects NAHU members and their clients. Cheers! Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.